The National Museum of Funeral History presents The Final Curtain Never Closes. I'm your host, Genevieve Keeney Vasquez, the president and CEO of the museum. Today, I have brought a very special guest to talk about something that we both experienced recently, but I find through some of my work with others and stories that I hear and a past personal experience of my own again, that I realized that this is a topic I think is important to talk about. So yes, let me welcome my guest, my amazing husband, Frank Vasquez, to the studio. Hi. Welcome, babe. Thanks for having me. I know this is going to be a tough episode for us today. Yes, it will. Um, but I think it's an important episode because of the talks that we've been having lately. And it's that hard conversation that nobody ever wants to talk about. But I think it's important we bring it to the forefront. And the topic is death. You know, how do you tell somebody that you're dying? You need to tell them. Because the way you found out, the way I found out, was devastating. Especially yeah. if it's a close friend and they're dear to your heart. Yeah, so, so we recently just suffered the loss of a very dear friend. And uh, we both are, are, are feeling the ripple effect of finding out last minute and finding out in a way that almost we weren't supposed to find out, but then we looked back on it and said, well, eventually we would have found out and how unfair that would have been to us uh, from robbing us the opportunity to say goodbye. I only had three days left to say goodbye. And now I can never call him. I can never meet him for a few beers. I can never ask him to come over for an afternoon get together where I barbecue. He was one of my best men in my wedding, a groomsman. I can't call him anymore. I can't uh, talk about flying because we were both pilots, instructor pilots. I flew high performance civilian jets. He flew the Navy. P3 Orion, where his primary job was helping the sphere of influence through battle space dominance, supporting the carrier fleet. And he was an outstanding instructor pilot, so we talked a lot about flying and different techniques of training pilots and examining them. So you guys had a really strong bond, and that bond now has been shaken. Shaken. Because here you thought that the, that you were so important to this person during life mm -hmm. that when it came time and he knew that he was mm -hmm. dying, mm -hmm. he didn't want anybody to know. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm here to say that that has got to be the most unjust act anybody can do. And if you are listening to this podcast, my message to you today, and it will be reiterated by the stories that we are going to continue to tell you, is that don't be selfish. Tell the people that are important to you enough in your life to be called your friend, to be called family. Tell them, let them in on that secret. It's not a secret. We all will die. There's no secret to that. So why do we hide it from the people we walk through life with? That's not fair. It's not. I mean, I've known him better than 10 years. We were both divorced at the same time. We had problems with kids at the same time. Uh, we had problems with the finances from being raided by the financial system in the divorce court. And we just, 
we're able to share shared experiences, talk each other through it. Again, reiterating my point, we used you were there for each other mm-hmm. during life's hardest times. And mm-hmm. here came another hard time. But this hard time was permanent. And he did not let you know. He was a groomsman in our wedding. Let me tell you, let me set the story for you and tell you how shocking this, this came to be for us. Last March, March 27th, 2022, he's standing in our wedding. And two days later, he finds out that he is diagnosed with cancer. And I respect that that time let people, you can keep that part quiet. I respect that wholeheartedly because you're going through your own personal battle with what you have been faced with, what you're going to endure, and you don't know what the outcome is going to be. So I respect the privacy at that time. But once you realize that your fight can no longer be fought and that the end is closer than you have realized, that's the time to allow your friends and your family to come in and be a part of this process. Dying is a, is a rite of passage, just like being born. And, 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 I, and I just, I don't understand why people can't be more open to sharing that concept. And I get it. You want to keep the other people around you that you love, that you hold dear from feeling pain. But I'm going to tell you, we're going to feel pain regardless. So fast forward to two, to about a week and a half ago, almost two weeks ago, I'm a palliative nurse at the Michael E. Bakey VA Medical Center, and I am getting report on the new patients that have come in that I'm going to be caring for that evening. And the door opens to the second room of the patient I'm getting report on, and I look at the patient in the bed that is maybe about 50 feet away from me, and there's a face of familiarity staring back at me. And I quickly scan the room because there's other people in there, and another face within that room had familiarity. And in that moment, I was frozen. I said, why is there familiarity in this room? There should not be familiarity. And who are these people? Why do I recognize them? Why do I know them? It was like everything happened so fast that just like in the movies, I kid you not, I just backed up very slowly, grabbed my phone in a panic, trying to call my husband, trying to, to, to validate what I'm seeing and verify what I'm seeing, but at the same time trying to deny it and come to find out, you know, I tell my husband, I, I, I said, you know, our friend is here. And he said, well, tell him I said hi. And I said, no, you don't understand, honey. Our friend is here. Here, meaning he's here to die. And in that moment, my husband and I's world turned upside down. And that was what has brought us to this podcast today is the ripple effect that that had on the both of us, the profound impact it has left us, the turmoil, the sadness, the we thought we were great friends, the questioning of our worth towards him. And, and so, yeah, I, I, all, all I'm asking is, If you love the people that you share your life with, love the people and share your death with them too. Let them know. 
Because when you pass, the funeral's not for the person that died, it's for the people that survive them. Yeah, and that's another, you know, good point that you bring up is, you know, funerals. Um, you know, let, let the, my personal experience in a funeral, my grandparents died and they died pretty close to each other. And I was stationed overseas in Germany. And I called back my mother and I said, Mom, I said, when's the funeral so that I can come home and be with family and pay my respects and say goodbye and have that ritual in life, an opportunity to say goodbye, an opportunity to mourn and grieve the loss of my grandparents. And my mother said, there will be no funeral. And I said, what? No funeral? She said, Grandma and Grandpa didn't want a funeral. They just wanted to be buried. And in that moment, I thought, how selfish of them. Mm -hmm. The funeral's not for them. The funeral's for us. The funeral's for our, for, for the family to come together, to validate their lives, to, to share stories and the impact they had on us and the void that they leave behind. Mm -hmm. And knowing that, you know. Yeah. I know one thing. When Genevieve called me, I thought she was in a car wreck because she couldn't talk. She just kept saying, T, T, Tim, T, T. It's okay. We don't have last names. <laughs> and I asked her, are you okay? Did you get in a car wreck? And then she goes, no, no, no. And that's when she told me about Tim. And then I said, uh, so said, told him I said hi. And that's when the bomb dropped. And she goes, no, he's a patient here. I could not believe that. And I go, patient, in palliative, that's where you go to die. She goes, I know, I know, I know. And, and, and she had to hang up. So I didn't ask permission to come see him the next day. I went there. No, you didn't go the next day. Well, you yes, went. You, you came the very day I talked to you. I thought it was you the came, next day. No, you came the very straight day that I called you. You said, well, I'm going to get off work. I'm coming work. straight there. I was in the simulator training pilots when you called me. So that right there uh, ruined my concentration on training the pilots properly. Luckily, it was a very advanced group of pilots. So I just set up the scenarios and muscled my way through them, trying to figure out what the hell I just heard on the phone. And realize right then and there, in an instant, everything can change in your life. Yes. In an instant. In an instant, everything changes. This is a guy that I used to go running with, that I used to go cycling with, that I used to close down the bars on work nights, you know. And then we go try to find after-hours bars. This is a guy that uh, we spent lots of time together having dinner parties with other friends. Uh, before I met Genevieve... I was dating and we'd talk about the girls that we were dating and the problems we were having and just it was this was a very 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 close friend so I was absolutely devastated I walked in the door and he looked like a concentration camp prisoner from Nazi Germany it even hurt worse he could barely breathe he looked like um he looked like he had been under a pool for five minutes and you let him go and he comes up for air because he was technically starving for air due to the tumor in his lungs and his esophagus. So to add to the fact that he's dying, the pain he's in, and we can't do anything to stop it. I, I Tears poured out my eyes like a river. And that right there is the pain I know that they're trying to keep us from experiencing. I get that part. I get that there are people that want to die 
in private. There, I get that. They don't want people to see you on your deathbed. Because I can tell you right now, when you are dying from a disease, that disease takes everything out of you. It transforms you. It changes you. It zaps the life force out of you. And yes, it is hard for your loved ones and friends to see you like that. But personally, I would rather know that I could be there holding your hand. No matter how beautiful you are, no matter how ugly you are, no matter what devastations you've experienced in life, give people the opportunity to say, I can't handle this. Give people the opportunity to say, I need to be there with you. Give people the choice and give yourself permission to be loved, embraced, held. You held his hand and he held your hand for two hours. The second day I went to visit him, that was the day he was begging you for more uh, anxiety, medication and morphine and you told him you couldn't do it and you were on duty partially, you know, you were there as a I was actually off that day, but you were trying hard not to work on my off day. But you were pretty much on duty at the same time. But still, you just and every time he would start to his blood gas would drop to seventy eight. He he held my hand even tighter because he had a blood gas monitor on one of his fingers. Oh, two set monitor. Oh, okay. Oh, two set monitor. Yeah. So, but no, it's just you know. Again, you know, as you guys can hopefully feel in our voices and and hear the frustration that you know I, I sometimes i am grateful that the universe um spun in a way that it aligned us and, and and there was a reason he became my patient there was a reason i walked in that door because we would have never known otherwise uh until we got the notice for the funeral um i don't know you know looking back on things which would have been more impactful? Um, I think finding out there was a funeral rather than learning that he was dying uh, would have been way more impactful because then I think it would have put us even further down the tailspin of we thought we were his great friends and we start questioning our place in their lives. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I can tell you right now, the second day I was there, was the day he held my hand for two hours. and The first day I kissed him on the forehead. I think most people would have been scared to do that the way he looked because he was hot and he was uh, running a fever and he was just a a mess with rash and blood pooling from bad circulation. But the second day when I was holding his hand, I got up and I leaned into his ear because he was Navy and I am Marines. And I said, Marines, don't leave wounded on the beach. I am not leaving you alone. You are not going to die alone. I am here with you. And, And he looked at me. And, and, and he was scared. And I could tell that that actually calmed him down a little bit. His breathing slowed down. I said, you won't die alone. I'm not going to let that happen. And I can tell you in your voice and, and in, your, in your heart that this story will stay with you. That moment will stay with you for a lifetime. And that's what's going to get you through these next few weeks as we attend his funeral, the next few days, the next yeah. few months. Um, and eventually, you know, the grief will lessen. But the whole point here is the impact that is created at the time one finds out that someone is dying. It's 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 hard. Oh, it's it's beyond hard. I I asked him 
if I could take care of his cat. And he says, well, uh, the cat had passed away. So then I go, what about the dog? And he goes, uh, she passed away too. And then he looked at me with these deaf, worn over eyes and said, it's been a banner year, Frank. And I could just feel the pain in his soul and in his body. But at the same time, I don't think he felt the pain I had. I mean, like when he was telling me, sell my motorcycle for me. And, and I go, okay. Uh, uh, he goes, I spent five, I, I paid $5,000 for it. It needs a little bit of work because I haven't ridden it in eight months. I've been sick. And I go, okay, well, how much you want for it? And then he paused and he looked at me and he goes, it really doesn't matter anymore. I mean, that just, the bottom fell out of my heart when he said that. Because it's not like he's taking the money with him. All he's taken is the things he's done in his life. He's not taken a single thing on this earth. But he's leaving a lot of pain. And a lot that of people who love him behind. That didn't to happen. I mean, you know, his, luckily his girlfriend knew the whole time. So she had the ability to adapt with it. We got hit like lightning in the middle of the night with not a single cloud in the sky. It was that devastating. So yeah, I find people denying the people they leave behind this opportunity to uh, be a part of a very hard time in life. But if you look back on it, we do share hard times together. Mm -hmm. We are human and we are innately reliant upon other people. We are innately, uh, you know, you know, kind of like a pack animals, if you will, that we, we come together at times of need uh, to support each other. And for some reason, I just keep seeing over and over how death still is such a private, behind-the-closed-door event in, in our lives. But yet, it's the most guaranteed thing to happen to all of us in life. We will all experience it at some time in our life, whether we experience it to other people or we experience it to ourselves, it's going to happen regardless. I was having discussions with Tim and some of the things that he told me will last me the rest of my life. It affected my professional career. I was telling him of a technique I'm using to train pilots where I let them know about the malfunction before it happens. We review the checklist. Then I run the malfunction so they can watch it evolve. And he goes, that's a really good technique. And I go, yeah, I'm tired of it where you just get hit with something and then you have to try to figure out why you're trying to fly uh, an aircraft that's running between two and 600 knots and navigate three-dimensionally. So he goes, yeah, in the Navy, when we just hit somebody like that, it's called perpetuating hate because somebody did it to us. So then that's what I started calling it at the simulation company I work for, that I don't perpetuate the hate. Okay. Well, I think he perpetuated the hate when he didn't tell me. That he didn't tell, so I could tell Genevieve. Well, and that it, he didn't tell her friends. And it left you with anger. And it left me with anger. Yeah, I wanted... When you don't need anger at this part, I didn't need anger. This phase mm-hmm. of, of your life mm-hmm. where, well, I should say, you don't need anger in this phase of y'all's friendship. No. Because at this moment, you know, he, he there's a different kind of anger... When you lose somebody to death and you and you have no control. 
because and, and that that anger isn't centered towards the person, right? The it, it, it the anger is is kind of dispelled towards towards the the entity that you believe in, uh, the 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 whole thing that you know life ain't fair. It, it, the the anger is dispersed elsewhere, but when that person doesn't tell you that they are dying, that anger then sometimes becomes directed towards them. I mean, an, another point for myself and my, my, my own personal experience and, and, and Tim doing this to you was like my sister doing it to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, in 2006, I'm working again at the hospital and I get a phone call at midnight and I learned that my sister just passed away. And not only did I learn that my, my, my oldest sister passed away, but my half-sister died three days before her. Talk about a freight train, a double freight train coming out of nowhere, impacting me at a time where I was not expecting it. It literally took me to my knees. And I'm family. And they didn't tell me that they chose to die or they're dying. They both were battling cancer. And it was during this time of their battle, they realized they could no longer defeat it. And they gave it a long run. One, my oldest sister gave it seven years. And my younger sister, she had a full liver transplant. She gave it five years. Um, and they did everything they could to try and beat cancer. And my oldest sister in January of 06 announced to the family, now mind you, I'm family, announced to the family that she had chosen to stop battling cancer, that she was tired and it was going to beat her. And, but I never got the memo. I never got the message. That's unfair. It didn't disseminate to me. My family is in California. I'm in Texas. The reasons they told me that I didn't find out was because they were trying to protect me. Protect me because I was going through my funeral directing school and I had tests that I needed to focus on. I had my four children that I needed to stay focused on and I just transitioned out of the army. I had too much going on in my life to learn that not one, but both my sisters had given up on their battles towards cancer. And they robbed me of that opportunity to go to them. I had six months. From the time my sister announced that to the time she actually died, my oldest sister, six months I could have been there. I could have held her hand. Mm -hmm. I wasn't given that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And you know what, Frank? You wouldn't have been given an opportunity to hold your friend's hand either. And I was the only one. Had I life. not walked in that door. Had I not been on shift that yeah. night. If I was, and, I, and, the thing, and the thing is, is I was the only one that held his hand. Except for his uh, of friends, except, of friends, of friends, yeah, except for his, except friends. for his dear girlfriend that stuck it out with him the whole time. Other friends came and they would see him and they couldn't take it. They'd back away and sit away from him and could look at him. I sat right next to that bed and I held his hand. I sat next to that bed every time I visited him, and I just can't believe everybody deals with it differently. But he wouldn't have had that comfort from one person outside of his girlfriend. And don't get me wrong. The comfort from your girlfriend is wonderful, but the comfort of another man that's not going to leave you in combat for life, and you know you're, you just took a bullet and you're dying, and he's not going to leave you until you take your last breath. I think he gave you more comfort than you gave him, to be honest. 
Yeah, probably so. But I know, I know when I moved my hand away from him, he reached out and grabbed it and, and, and held it again. So he needed it. He needed it. There's, there's so many morals or angles that this story and faces that this particular segment of this podcast is portraying here. We're not saying there's no right or wrong. We're not trying to say that everyone has to go be at the dying side of their yeah. loved one and friend because sometimes we can't take it. Yeah. And I get that. I saw that personally. Like I said, there's so many different levels to this, so many different faces. Mm-hmm. But I think if there's any one face I want to be most prevalent in this is that give people the choice. Sure. Give them the choice to be there or not be there. Let them know. Let them be aware. Let them feel part of the intimate circle of that friendship and of that family. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, you alienate them. Mm-hmm. And then they then you leave them behind wondering where was my place in that person's life? Right. How important was I to that person? In life, they made me feel like I was the next, the best thing since mm-hmm. sliced bread to them. And now upon their death, not only am I abandoned now by their absence, but now I am abandoned by feeling that I wasn't as important in their life as I thought I was. I can, I can tell you this, when he passed, it was the middle of the afternoon and um, Genevieve came home and I, I looked at her and I go, um, tomorrow's not promised, all we have is today. And we gotta make, we're in our, I'm in my 60s, she's in her 50s. I said, we have to make the time we have count. Don't get wound up in so much busy work that you can put off tomorrow if we can spend time together today because today is all we have. Slow down. Stop playing with stuff you don't have to play with at work because you want to know something? The graveyard is filled with people that thought the company would not continue without them. And the earth will continue to spin without you. But the people that you leave behind, you need to give them time. And you need to give time for the persons that are alive right now because they may not be here tomorrow. I found out that the hard way. And so did Genevieve. And that's all I'm going to say about this because if I talk anymore, I'll probably <laughs> end up running another few tears down my face. Yeah, it, it, it's been, a, like I say, it's been a really hard week, uh, two weeks for us. And, mm-hmm. and, and it brought back a lot of what I would consider unjust uh, memories of my past. But, you know, there are there are times, we I get it, there are times when you don't get that chance to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. And as a palliative nurse... You know, there are times when I'll go in to a family and they're sitting there and they say that, you know, they don't, they don't know if they could do this. And, and I don't, they don't know if they could stand beside them uh, during their last days. And what I tell them is be thankful that you get to be here for their last days. There are people out there that never get the opportunity to say goodbye, Mm -hmm. that never get the opportunity to say, I love you again, never get the opportunity to hold a hand because their death is an accident that is sudden, instantaneous, that nobody was prepared for. Somebody's on a vacation and they die at a tragic accident. Mm -hmm. So 
they don't get that opportunity to say goodbye. So if somebody is unfortunately terminally ill and they're on their deathbed, embrace it. As hard as it is, embrace it and be grateful that you get that opportunity and let the people around you, the people that are in your close circle, the people that you have embraced in your life, give them the opportunity and the chance to embrace you in your death. Because to me, that's what's fair. That's what's just. That is what will help those you leave behind move on and be able to feel that void that you leave behind with all the wonderful memories that you shared during that last journey. And lessons. We, we gave and each other... we learned lessons, we yeah. We taught each other lessons, you know, from our different backgrounds. Navy, yeah. Marines, turboprop pilot, jet pilot, instructors, runners, cyclists, you know. We, we, we taught each other life's lessons. He didn't stop teaching you lessons all the way up to the moment he died because the last died. lesson he taught you is the importance of life and the importance spending time. of life and spending, spending time, time. Spending time with the person you have now because that's all you have. The future, it's not guaranteed. The past, it's not coming back. All you got's right now. Make now the most important time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like I said, you know, you know, the National Museum of Human History has a motto, any day above ground is a good one. Mm. And I challenge each and every one of you to make that day a good one. Mm -hmm. And don't leave those you leave behind suffer in your, in your absence, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I have to say, as hard as this podcast was to get through and to talk about a very dear friend, talk about past experiences that left pain that we still feel today, um, Grief has many faces. This podcast has many faces. Make it applicable to you, but most importantly, and make sure that you're present when you can be. Well, thanks for the opportunity to share this with you. It's, it's actually helped me uh, deal with it. Yeah, it's another way of dealing with your grief, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, you know, there's, there's, there's so many ways to deal with this. Mm -hmm. You were told to, to, to write him a letter, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I was told to write a letter because I was talking to my uh, therapist about it. And she says, write him a letter. Write him a letter. And uh, funny part is, is his girlfriend's writing him a letter too. So we were going to exchange letters once we finished writing. Wonderful. See, mm -hmm. keeping mm -hmm. his memory alive. Mm -hmm. yeah. And sharing the impact that he had on your life. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, uh, and continuing to remember him and all that he was to you. So for the listeners out there, I know this was a very heavy story to listen to today, but I hope it's one that has a positive resigna resonation in that it helps you, one, live a fuller life, don't take life for granted, mm -hmm. and two, if you find yourself diagnosed with a terminal illness or you learn of a friend who has a terminal illness, tell them how important they are to you. Show them how important they are to you and you are to them. And let them be a part of your death just as much as they were your life. Mm -hmm. Again, thank you for joining us on The Final Curtain Never Closes. Frank, thank you for joining me and going through this journey with me today. I know it wasn't easy, but 
I'm thankful that it is helping you in your grief process. Yeah, sure um, has. And thanks for having me my back during this difficult time. Thank you for joining me today on this podcast. And I hope that you will share this episode and our future episodes with family and friends. We look forward to any feedback you have to offer by giving us a review on Apple or Spotify. And we hope that you will join us for a virtual tour at www.nmfh.org. And always remember, any day above ground is a good one.